Walter. What if you were taking a trip to a country in which the language that you speak is not the language that is prominently spoken in that country? Things are done a little differently, so it isn't like you can say, oh, I need help with this, I go to this building. Or I need help with this, I call this person. So things are done a little differently. I mean, think about going to Great Britain. If you want to call 911, you shouldn't. You should call 999. So little things like that. Now, picture doing that in a pandemic so that everything is restricted and also everything is online, or at least it feels that way. And what if you weren't just taking a trip? What if you were moving to a new country to set up a new life for not only yourself, but your entire family? And you were trying to manage this at some point over the last 23 months. Is there a way to even put into words how difficult that must be? Well, for a lot of new Canadians, soon-to-be new Canadians, that's exactly what they've been dealing with. And it has now been looked at thanks to a nursing Ph.D. student at Western University by the name of Fazia Arabia Mohammed. And we're lucky enough to have Fazia with us right now. Fazia, how are you? Hi, Mike. I'm doing well. How about you? I am fascinated to hear some of the stories that you have found because you have been able to talk with individuals who had arrived as refugee families from Syria, had been given some government assistance to get here, but then it's all about, okay, welcome to Canada, get yourself set up, here you go. And they are from London, Calgary, and Fredericton. So tell us a little bit about even starting this research. Where did you even begin something like this? Yeah, so first, thanks for having me. And um, so uh, regarding the, the, the research study, um, uh, this started with um, um, a larger study that my uh, supervisor, Abe Altshorn, is um, leading. So we basically were uh, looking at the barriers and facilitators uh, to achieving desired housing um, five years post-migration. And mainly we were um, focusing on um, interviewing Syrian um, uh, refugees. So we started from there. Uh, the study started um, in uh, 2018. And then we were interviewing our uh, families um, every year. So we will visit them, you know, chat a little bit for maybe uh, 45 minutes, an hour about how they are doing here in Canada and how they are establishing a new life um, and specifically home. Right. So and then during the pandemic um, 2020, um, that was one of our um, rounds to visit them and uh, do the, the interviews. And that happened online because of the restrictions. And so we had the chance to interview 35, uh, 38 uh, families um, uh, in Calgary, London, Fredericton, as you mentioned. And so we talked with them. Um, uh, what are they doing during the pandemic? So we had a little bit of a picture of how they were doing before the pandemic and then during the pandemic. Okay, now that's where it gets really interesting because it's one thing to say, all right, I'm going to take my family, we're going to start a whole new life 
in a whole new country, and then all of a sudden a pandemic hits. We're talking with Ph.D. student Fazi Arabia Mohammed, who is in nursing at Western University, who's been working with Abe Outsorn, and we know Dr. Outsorn very well, and you've been talking with family. So, all right, if, if things were kind of progressing before the pandemic, what did you hear from the families once all of a sudden things changed and this pandemic began and restrictions were implemented? Yeah, so the thing that we have heard right in the pandemic is that the situation is getting worse, right? So it was bad for them before the pandemic, right? But then when the pandemic hit, things were deteriorating. So for the um, um, uh, government-assisted refugees arriving in Canada with weaker language skills, uh, compared to any other categories of refugees, if they um, even speak the language in the first place. Uh, They have lower education. Um, Even those who have higher um, education, high education attainment, they struggle to get their credential um, recognized. And then they have, um, uh, in in return, less opportunities uh, for success uh, or secure employment. And that will lead to insufficient income. And they arrive in Canada in, in, in big, like with big families, right? So during the pandemic and, and, and living in small houses, um, small apartments uh, with big families, uh, that was um, really difficult experience to go through multiple lockdowns. Um, imagine having the kids uh, all time home, right? Uh, just the fear that the fear that it creates having all my kids uh, in a small apartment that maybe will bother my neighbors downstairs. Uh, the, you know, kids are running from here and there. And so these challenges were strengthened and were evident during the pandemic by staying long time home. Some of them don't have even access to uh, green spaces uh, or residential background, uh, playgrounds, right? Um, and, 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 you know, Mike, this is not to say, um, in, I mean, the, COVID, the COVID-19 restrictions and other government measures were necessary to contain the pandemic, but it's also important to understand how different groups within our community um, maybe experience the pandemic on a, on a different level than, 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 than the average, right? Absolutely. And if you have your entire family, you're in a small apartment, you're trying to get the kids into school. So did you find a lot of the families were living in small apartments? Was that common? Uh, well, most of our uh, families uh, that we interviewed use, are, are living in small apartments. There were a few families. Um, they considered themselves lucky to uh, move to a bigger house just right before the pandemic. They spoke about their, this experience of just, you know, um, it felt for them like ex- exiting a prison, right? So they would imagine themselves um, going through the lockdown on in that apartment, that small apartment, or in this new house. And I mean, one example that I always remember is that we have, uh, like, uh, I have heard from one of our um, uh, family, a uh, refugee, um, she's a mother, and she was talking about the the, the luxury of having, of, of breathing a fresh air, because she doesn't have a balcony. And so staying months and after months in a small apartment with the kids, not even having, you know, the privilege to go out and, and having some fresh air, 
um, was was very um, you know heartbreaking uh, to hear from them. And so this is one level of their you know struggle during the pandemic. Another level that the pandemic you know um, uh, uh, trigger is the, the employment and, and and their income. Although um, you know they were um, uh, they have the benefits of receiving some emergency benefits, employment insurance, um, some provincial financial assistance, and 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 the, the Canada Child benefits. These you know um, benefits has helped them to maintain house, right? But that that was it. They yeah, were able that's to That's as far keep... as the benefits go. Housing. Exactly. Exactly. Then think about other other things. Uh, for example, food, grocery, kids being home. Their needs have increased during the pandemic. They want to entertain themselves. They want to buy things for their kids. I mean, the the kids are asking for things that the family were not able to to provide because. Either they lost their jobs because most of them um, work in uh, manufacturing or factories that were heavily impacted by the the, the COVID pandemic, the, the COVID virus, right? So, so they found themselves in in a like struggling in in one level the isolation, the social isolation, and another level is the the um, losing the job and having uh, insufficient income. We're talking with Ph.D. student Fazia Rabia Mohammed, who is in nursing at Western University. Is your study now complete, or will you be speaking with these families at all anymore? So the the sub analysis that we we conducted during the pandemic uh, summer 2020 uh, has completed, and we have uh, published one paper. But the larger study is still ongoing, so we are going to uh, we are expecting to have another uh, round of interviews with the family, um, you know, in maybe four four months. So we will still go and visit them and and see. I mean, if it's possible to visit them at that time, depending on the restriction, or we are going to interview them online and see how are they doing um, two years in the pandemic. Okay, well, we appreciate you giving us this picture because it's one that you wouldn't necessarily realize existed and certainly it's not the easiest picture and hopefully there are brighter times ahead for anyone who is trying to make a new life in a new country but your research has been incredibly important Fazia thank you so much for taking some time to share it with us today thanks Mike for having me have a good day keep safe that is Fazia Rabia Mohammed, PhD student in nursing so looking at families in London Calgary and Fredericton who had come to Syria in 2018 and now had been hit with, okay, we were just kind of getting going, and then whether it's job loss or whether it is insufficient housing, whether it is some of the challenges that the pandemic has brought, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting look inside the lives of 38 different families that they have put together.